Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing great, Jake. Uh, I think that we are going to get to jam together later today. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. And uh, huh. I have to tell you the how much this jam means to me. <laughs> really? Because, so, okay, so I came into Seattle last night on the Bolt bus. Oh, yeah. And um, we got to about Chehalis and the bus broke down and we sat no. on i5 for uh, we sat on the i5 for for 45 minutes and then the bus driver finally got the bus to start pulled us off of i5 and into a little gas station and we sat there for another two hours oh <laughs> so i didn't God. actually get into town until 2 a.m last night <laughs> wow you had a journey and an adventure <laughs> totally yes yeah that makes me want to jam that much more. Well, we have um, another great guest with us today. I'm really excited to have this person join us. And uh, she has um, had success in multiple levels in the Frisbee world. And so we're really happy to have Juliana Corver with us today. Hi, Juliana. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. First and foremost, thank you so much for coming on and joining our crazy adventure. Well, I, I'm excited that you deem me important enough to, to interview so early on in your podcast life. Well, most definitely. Uh, yeah. I think it's inspiring for both Jake and I to watch your journey and you know have somebody kind of new on the horizon. and Very exciting, I think, not just for us, but for a lot of folks. It's actually, it's inspirational to watch how much you practice and so watch all the videos that you put up there. Cause it's, uh, I don't know that people realize how much work goes into it or can go into it. And so even me watching you do it, I start practicing more because I'm inspired. I, I love that. That um, Well, I don't know how to do it any other way. I, I mean, I know that I know I can get there, but I know it's going to take a heck of a lot of work. So yep. I just got to put in the time. Yep. That's cool that you're sharing the process with the world. Yeah. I, in my disc golf persona, I am very competent in what I do and I have had many women come up to me and uh, be really nervous to talk to me or say they're intimidated by me or they're inspired by me, whatever it might be. But I can see that, that they are sort of putting me on a pedestal. And so I actually like to show people like that, that look at, I can screw up just as much as anybody else. And I, you know, I, I didn't just start here. I worked to get here. So I guess yeah. I'm, I'm trying to show them how I work and trying to open the doors for whatever their goal might be that it's not insurmountable. You just have to put in the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think part of the interesting thing about your story is that you have this crossover from another disc sport and a disc sport that I don't know. I don't know of anyone else who was a disc golfer and not a freestyler and became a freestyler later. So I, I know a handful of disc golfers who are very good freestylers, but I, you know, I, I don't know enough about the history of freestyle to know where they started. Frisbee, Hossfeld, uh, Amy Schiller, of course. So how did Frisbee come into your life? What was the first time that that happened? 
I was not a person who grew up playing Frisbee. Uh, I had my first experience with seeing people play Frisbee when I was in college. And I actually had a college professor who was a disc golfer. I didn't know what disc golf was at the time, but he had a little mini and he would do body rolls with a mini and he would uh, play with the mini while he was lecturing. And I thought that disc golf used minis at that time. And then a year or two later, I was in classes with uh, another disc golfer, a student who had been a pro since he was in high school. And he became a pretty good friend of mine. And um, every shirt he wore had a disc golf tournament logo on it. And every story he told was about disc golf. And I sort of mercilessly made fun of him for being so myopic on the topic. And he eventually, (laughs) (laughs) he finally got sick of me making fun of him. And I can still very specifically remember he's he had his bag with him and he had multiple frisbees and I was laughing. I said, what, you can't just throw one. He put his bag down and he looked at me and he said, oh, quick. Okay, Corver, pick something out. And so I pointed at this grouping of evergreen trees and they were approximately 300 feet away. And he pulls out a condor in my mind, it was red. And he throws this disc and in mid flight, I kid you not, I fell in love with the sport. Wow. The deliberateness, the accuracy, the beauty, it just immediately struck me. And not to mention the fact that he landed you know, 10 feet from what I pointed at. And I looked at him and I said, teach me how to play. So that was my start in Frisbee. Uh, that it, wow, that's awesome. Fairly early on in my disc golf career, I did run across uh, freestylers, or at least disc golfers who were pretty proficient in playing freestyle. And so I was aware that it existed I wasn't, uh, I didn't know anything about the FPA. I didn't know anything about tournaments. I didn't know, you know, I I, I think at that time, I probably thought that there are a few disc golf tournaments out there that incorporate some other Frisbee activities, this being one of them. So when you saw Freestyle, what did you think of it? It was so long ago. I I can't specifically remember, but I, you know, I I know that I was uh, mesmerized. I never... I don't know why initially I never thought, hey, I want to do that. Probably because I was so on task with disc golf that I didn't want to take any focus away from that. After a few years in disc golf, when I started traveling to tournaments farther away, I can very specifically remember Greg Hosfeld telling me that I would be a good freestyler if I put time into it. And I kind of just laughed at it because... I didn't understand it. Uh, I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know why I would want to get there. So I really didn't respond to his prodding at the time. I knew that he played freestyle tournaments. So by, by then I knew that they existed. But still, I didn't, I'd never seen a routine. I'd never seen, you know, with the music. I just see, I, I, at this point, I'd just seen disc golfers who, you know, maybe there was one really good freestyler and then a few disc golfers that have elementary skills that would jam between rounds. I may hide it, but I am off the charts introverted. So it never, it never um, intrigued me to jump out there and try it. That makes sense. You're basically putting yourself out in front of everybody. I I go through the exact same experience myself. So how did you 
come to the decision that you wanted to become a freestyler? What changed? <laughs> Approximately three and a half years ago, I, I actually stopped playing disc golf around 2004 and didn't do any disc sports for almost 10 years. You know, I, I would still do the occasional running round for a cardio workout, not for a disc golf. But I found out that there was a DDC tournament in Phoenix, Arizona. And my dad lives in Phoenix. And of course, I wanted to, uh, any excuse to go visit my dad was, was a good one. So I remember writing a message to Harvey Brandt, who was the tournament director. And I asked him, is it okay if I come and participate, even though I you know, don't even know the rules of DDC. And he said, of course, yes, please come. And, you know, you'll have a great time. And so I did. And while there, I um, spent a lot of time with, with both John Kirkland and Rick LeBeau. And both of them were very encouraging with my potential in DDC and were trying to open up the possibility for me to play in the overall. Well, I've, I've rarely met a athletic challenge that I haven't um, accepted. And so it felt like it was something that I wanted to do. You know, I, I, I had been away from disc golf long enough that I was ready to come back, but I didn't, the thought of just coming back to disc golf wasn't really that enticing, but the thought of coming back to a different Frisbee sport was very enticing. I, I love to learn new things. I like to challenge myself. You know, a few months after that, uh, beginning of the year, I started uh, trying to train for the overall. And for me at that time, it meant six events <laughs> minus freestyle because I just had no background. I had nothing to build on. Well, that's not exactly true because I could nail delay just from my, my disc golf days, but that's all I could do. And so I, I started working on, actually DDC was what I worked on the most. DDC was something that had a pretty steep learning curve. But the first big overall event that I played, uh, the WIFDIF at, it was at Fredericksburg, Virginia. And this was, was this 2005, I guess? Or, I'm sorry, 2015. Oh. I had a good week. I played really well. And <clears throat> by the time that freestyle came around, I didn't need to compete in order to win the event, but in, in my own mind, I felt like I shouldn't be allowed to win the event if I didn't compete. I found a partner. I played with um, Didi from Florida. We basically pantomimed all of the events of freestyle because she couldn't give me the disc with enough spin that I could delay, <laughs> and she couldn't delay. And so, and, and I'm still to this day, pretty poor at speed flow. So that experience was humbling and frustrating. And I told myself after that event, you know, I, I, at this point I didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a freestyler. But I thought, you know, I'm going to get enough skill that I'm not going to embarrass myself when I do this event. I also noticed just for myself as a when I was a new player in freestyle, when you get on the stage, even if you're embarrassing yourself, as you say, you're not playing as well as you would like to, everyone is so encouraging. 
Um, you come off and you're like, I sucked. And everyone comes off, you did great. Oh, I can't love that one under the lake catch you did. Whatever it was, they're just so excited that you got out there and put yourself out there that it makes it a lot easier. It made, for me, it made it a lot easier to come back and do it again because I realized people didn't care that I wasn't the best. They just wanted to see me get out there and do what I could do. I, I absolutely love that part of the sport. And I feel that I felt that in, in overall, and I, I overwhelmingly feel that in freestyle. I mean, I can't even <laughs> comprehend the levels of which I feel that in freestyle. And it is so reassuring and so heartfelt and so uh, just such a wonderful atmosphere to be in. And, and you want more of that. I mean, I want, I want more of the, I'll show you what I can do, but I also want more of the just group acceptance and love. That's one of the great things about freestyle. Well, and that's also, we've been talking to folks, we've been talking a lot about how do we get new players to come on board and what is that, what is that thing that we need to pay attention to? And one of the things is that all of us to a person has said, we recognize when somebody is one of us. And when we see that, we really want to nurture and encourage. And we totally can see that you're one of us, Juliana. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I, I, I feel so, so fortunate that that I guess that I'm doing this the way that I'm doing it because I feel like, you know, not only at the events do I get that warm hug from the entire group, but I feel like I get that every day as feedback from what I put out there. Yeah, definitely. You can see it on your blog and you can see it on the Facebook videos you post. So many people comment about Nice to see you playing. Well, beautiful smile. That's great. <laughs> um, so at what point did your did your focus change from doing well at overall to just, I love freestyle and I want to do that? Or has that even happened? Yes. Oh, it's definitely happened. I can't pinpoint that change, but I can pinpoint a different change. And that is when I stopped thinking, okay, I just want to be good enough that I'm not going to embarrass myself to... I am going to put in the time, as much time, so, okay, let me back up. Um, in Sweden, before the, the WIF Diff tournament there, Rick and I spent some time in Oslo with Sune. We went out and did a little freestyle, and Sune posted it. And while Sune has many, many, many freestyle observers, <laughs> uh, friends on his social media, and somebody by the name of Randy sent me a message and he may or may not have been joking and asked to play with me in mixed doubles in the following world championship. So, you know, 13 months away. Uh, Randy, I didn't know who you were at the time and I, I looked you up. I asked people questions because I, again, because of my self-proclaimed social awkwardness, <laughs> I don't always, I, I am selective of the environments that I put myself in. And everybody told me that you would be the perfect person to work with and that I would, I'd have nothing to fear <laughs> and it would be wonderful and it would be a great experience and don't let this opportunity pass you by. I am so grateful that you stood by your ask because I, I do have a feeling that that was a joke. <laughs> let me pipe in here. Uh, okay. So. I wouldn't have said it was a joke, but I was, I did say it sort of off the cuff because uh-huh. I saw that you had skills and I was like, oh, well, if you want to play, and I didn't really think that you would reach back. So 
Um, I was totally shocked when you reached back. I was like, well, I was kind of kidding, but I mean, <laughs> I certainly was not going to turn down this opportunity to, to bring somebody new into the sport. So, well, I'm, I'm so thankful that that happened because that was the turning point for me. You, it was the perfect ask because here is a luminary freestyler who wants to play with me and you gave me enough time 13, approximately 13 months. In my mind, I'm thinking if I practice 10 hours a week, every single week for the next 13 months, I will at least be able to, I knew that I could get to a point where we could have some back and forth. And I was going to do as much as I could to get as far as I could to be your worthy partner. Yeah, I mean that was a pretty that was a pretty cool journey, and since it also had it lit a fire under me and say, okay, well I've got to really step up and, and to be there for you as well, and so it was uh, on both sides of okay, I really I really want to make this happen. Well, I, I usually approach things analytically, and it's more the process. I'm going to do this process. You know, I don't know where I'm going to end up in the end, and that's not my goal. But my goal is to put in this time, and and once I solidified that in my mind. You know, it was set, and I was I was going to do it, and and at times it was incredibly frustrating. At times it was so joyful. Um, you know, the littlest things. It seemed like every time I went out, if I chose wisely what I was going to practice, I could build. It's a tiny build, but I could build, and it was encouraging. And then there would be times when I felt like nothing was working, and so I would spend a half an hour and I would just self-set, center delay, pop it up, set to myself, get it. You know, I, I need the fundamentals. If I can't set it to myself and I can't get it without it falling to the rim or bobbling or messing it up, then I don't have the building blocks to do these harder tricks. So when the harder tricks got too hard, I would go back down to solidifying what to me were my building blocks and pretty much doing this on my own. I thought that I was making a mistake if the disc went to the rim. So if I was centering, if I was doing a center delay, doing an under the leg or something like that, and it went to the rim, I'd be mad at myself for, for messing up. When I was watching videos and I see other people doing that, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't dawn on me that, that it opens up so many more opportunities for, for moves and for, um, thankfully, I'm, I'm finally seeing that Pretty much any angle, any any direction, any anything is workable if if you have uh, the skill, the the quick thinking, the um, the opportunity to work with it. And and I'm I'm growing now that I'm um, seeing that and open to open to that. Yes, the possibilities are endless. Even when you've been playing for 40 plus years, there's still <laughs> new stuff. It never stops. And that's actually the joy of freestyle is that it's always new. I think you probably find that too, Jake. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm still practicing new skills and learning new things. It's also <laughs> interesting. I think, Juliana, your uh, approach to it must be in the center was, was the consensus back in the earlier days of freestyles, maybe, you know, maybe in the 80s. Oh, okay. Uh, that's how they wanted it to be in the center. If you went to the rim, you weren't you weren't in control anymore. Somewhere along the way, that changed, um, and it opened up a whole new avenue to the game. As as I've been working on counterspin, 
uh, I don't have that control, and and now I'm allowing myself to let it drop to the rim. And so, so there are actually some things that I can do counter more easily, like the counter behind the back, so the the keys to the highway, that move. Keys um, to the highway. Okay. Oh, that's what that that's name. what um, Regal Booty calls it. It's just huh. the with the spin behind the back. Um, okay. So doing that move and then turning and doing a body roll right off yes. of that. I yes. could do that counter before I could do that clock because I started counter on the rim and I was started clock on in center. Yep, that makes sense. When I was learning, I did a lot of rim work because I didn't have the center control. And I think it, um, it made the learning curve a little bit uh, less steep Yeah. Uh, because yeah. I found I could do tricks without having to have the center control. So there you are, you're on your journey to FPA Worlds in New York. So we're now approximately 13 months after the ask and I have put in my time and I have, by this time, I have found the joy of freestyle and, and I have, I, I'm now practicing because I said I would, but also because I want to. And by the time, so by the time I got to the Worlds, I was happy with myself in that I, I did what I said I was going to do. Ironically, that week of worlds, I didn't get the time in because I, I just sat and watched people. You know, I, I, I was too shy and a little bit too self-conscious of my limited abilities to jump in to groups and play with people. And so I would still sort of do what I was comfortable with, and that is stand on the side and do drills. But then people started coming up and asking me to play, which I, I would almost always do. But in my mind, the anxiety level would just jump up. I don't know how to play with somebody. <laughs> I play by myself. <laughs> yeah. And and so, you know, I, I knew that I was coming at it so different, possibly opposite of other people, because I could see how excited the other people were to play with everybody and to, to switch groups and to, to play off each other and to you know, do the mob ops. And, and that was all foreign to me. And that was scary and also mesmerizing. So I I was just a wide-eyed kid watching it all and amazed by it. Cool. So I think everybody experiences that jam anxiety, especially when they're newer. I know what I used to when I would go to tournaments. Randy's in the jam, and I'm like, I don't know if I can really go in there and play with him because he's way better (laughs) than me. (laughs) And that's so weird because I'm doing the exact same thing. I mean, we we all forget that we're really all pretty similar (laughs) and that we all just want to be happy. You know, and, and logically, I completely understand that, but that doesn't mean that my emotions get there, uh, you know, because yeah. I don't ever judge anybody when we're playing, judge anybody else when we're playing and they can't believe they didn't catch that. You know, I never do that. And I know that, and I know that they're probably not doing that to me. It's still a little bit of a struggle to do that. Yeah, it's it's the human condition, and it's, yes. it's not unique to you. So well, it's great that you did get out there a few times. I mean, that's the only way to break through is to just keep doing it. Well, again, I'm so grateful for being able to work with you, Randy, because putting that routine together, that that was perfect for me. I knew what I had to do. I knew when I had to do it. I knew where you were going to be. If there was something that was tricky for me, you know, I could I could work on that on my own. And and there was no there were no surprises, just an immense amount of fun to perform and, and you know, the, the rush of adrenaline in a good way when we were finished with um, putting that together and, and performing it in front of the group. And you know, I, I just, I'm doing a poor job of explaining 
how emotional it was for me um, and how much fun it was and how uh, immediately following that, I just, I wanted to do it again. I want to get out there again, but, but, um, you know, you know, and, and Juliana, you did great. And, you know, just from watching your growth from that, like you say, the initial ask to where it ended up and you, you practiced hard enough and committed enough to be able to have the skill sets to put together four minutes. And we did a whole four minutes that was choreographed from first note to last note. And you, you not only able to do it, you nailed it and you played great and you, you really, you really stepped up. So kudos to you being able to really lean into that experience. Thank you. I, um, I used to say in disc golf that my biggest strength was I knew my weaknesses. You know, if I knew that a, a shot was a low percentage, I wouldn't take it. When we put that routine together, we didn't put any low percentage things in there for me. And if it was a, a low percentage, I worked on I still had time once we put the routine together to work on it and get it to the point where I was confident with it. And I, and I also love that, that you had never put together a routine before. So you were just so willing to do any of the crazy stuff that I wanted to try. Or <laughs> really. It was a very fun experience. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you leaned into the musicality of it and just the whole, the art of it, not just the skills, but you, I think you really embraced the art of freestyle. And that was what I was most impressed with. You know, what's really cool about this story is that both of our goals were achieved. You know, Juliana wanted to get her game to a point where she could be competitive and I wanted her to have a positive experience so she'd be hooked for life. And, and we both got what we wanted. Uh, that was just, I'm really cool how that journey ended up for both of us. Yeah, totally. I'm really glad that you put in the time and got her hooked. But um, I don't know, I think it just goes to show that as you develop your skills and you get better at the sport, it just becomes more enjoyable. The more you learn, the more fun you have. Yeah, indeed. If you have that patience to just kind of cross that line and just get a little bit more, the, the payoff is huge. The payoff is huge, totally. Well, I think that's probably a wrap for this episode. And, uh, you know, hey, everyone out there, continue to donate and like the Facebook pages because it's what keeps the lights on and uh, keeps us engaged with everyone. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks bye, for Jay. listening. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, shooting the frisbees and live streaming freestyle frisbee. Oh, yeah!